and thanks for tuning in to another Fisher Investments Market Insights podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. I'm Naj Srinivas, Group Vice President of Client Communications here at the firm. And stock market volatility has reemerged in recent weeks as numerous fears of weight on investor optimism. In our last episode, Executive Chairman and Co-Chief Investment Officer of Fisher Investments, Ken Fisher, discussed volatility, sentiment, and investor psychology in these turbulent times. I highly encourage you to listen to that episode if you haven't already. It provides great context to this episode. Today, we'll do a deep dive in understanding current investor fears, their market impact or lack thereof, and underappreciated fundamentals around the world. In our next episode, scheduled to be released in early January, we'll sit down with Ken again and discuss bear markets broadly, how to identify one, some potential signs, and the anatomy and timing of a bear market. So with that, let's get started with today's guest, Senior Vice President of Research and a member of our firm's Investment Policy Committee, Michael Hansen. Welcome, Mike. Good to be with you, Naj, and uh, happy holidays. Thank you. Mike, I was reading the paper before our recording today, and I noticed there's a lot of different fears in the media. What are some of those that we're watching right now or that our clients have been asking about? And what's our view of how those may or may not impact stocks? Well, this has been um, an exceedingly trying year, I believe, in terms of investor sentiment. And there are plenty of fears. I mean, you can just go down the list. Um, will growth be as fast in places like the U.S. and China? Has it slowed? Um, what about a U.S. government shutdown, which we're sort of, as we speak, are sort of dealing with that? Uh, what's the final analysis of the trade war, and will there be a deal? What about Brexit? You know, that's still got another maybe three months to it, if not longer. Um, will inflation come back? What's the Fed doing? I mean, as we record this, you know, the Fed is set to do whatever they're going to do, and we'll see what the ramification of that is. And um, lower oil prices, higher oil prices. Um, and an abundance of other things. And what I, what I find so interesting about the entire uh, complex of worries out there today is that you could take that list, and it's not so different than the corrections we saw from 2015 and 16 just a few years ago. And in fact, that's a period that had multiple grinding corrections, which tended to not only fatigue investors, but really reset sentiment. And the irony is that those fears are not so different at all. It's just a few years hence, and that you know, this is a world in which things are growing fine. They're not growing gangbusters really anywhere, but nowhere is really in recession or, or deep recession or any kind of big problem. And what investors just don't seem to be able to get a handle on is that that's a pretty Goldilocks world. What it means is that it doesn't need any heroic measures in terms of monetary policy or fiscal policy to save things, but it also doesn't need a ton of catalysts and that that world, which is just sort of slow and steady, people just don't want to believe that. They either want to extrapolate things that they're going way higher in terms of growth or that, you know, maybe a few bad readings and this or that index means things are going lower. But in a world such as this with modest growth, sometimes things look great and sometimes they don't look as great, but it's all modest growth and that's all pretty bullish. You mentioned 2015 and 2016 that a lot of the fears that we're hearing today are similar to those fears back then, it kind of reminds me of a phrase that Ken coined back in 2013 it was. It's a lot like cows chewing cud. These media headlines are just chewed on and chewed on, and they don't seem to go away. And of course, back in 2013, the big fears were the pigs countries, Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, and Spain, and their sovereign debt woes. 
so as we look at these issues at the long list that you just rattled off recently or a moment ago, why do those continue to perpetuate themselves? And when we actually peel the onion on them a little bit, what are we seeing from a fundamental standpoint, say, with slowing growth or with the U.S. government shutdown? Well, you know, with correction stories, there's really only a few things you can do. I mean, we do our own analysis. We've got our own deep analysis internal to the firm. We do our own proprietary research to corroborate um, what we think and don't think. But in the end, what you're trying to figure out is, is this fear larger or smaller than people seem to be giving it credit for? And in a period like this, people seem to be um, very worried about these things all over again. And you mentioned how there's sort of this grinding quality that these things keep coming back up again. And I, I think that's very important because one of the, you know, in my view, interesting features of today's correction narratives is that they simultaneously have this sort of daily news flow. And the daily news flow seems important. You know, it's like, what is Prime Minister May going to do today? Is she going to send the Brexit bill to the House of Commons? Is she going back to Brussels to re renegotiate? And all this stuff seems so important and so decisive. And yet, on the flip side of it, a lot of these stories just don't seem to have a real end date. They've never had a decisive moment. And so one of the things we've been saying um, to our clients and internally to our employees is that, you know, we just love to see so many of these things, whether it's the trade war or the Brexit idea, all of it, just get a resolution. Um, it, it's my view that people fundamentally misinterpret and just don't take seriously enough or underestimate how resilient and adaptable the world is. If you give the world a result, hard Brexit, soft Brexit, whatever it is in between, the world won't end. There will be some winners and losers, but the world will go on and the world can adapt. And what we really love to see with these correction ideas is just some resolution and decisiveness. I think that would be very bullish. But, you know, beyond that, to the second part of your question and um, what do the fundamentals really look like, you know, one of the ways you study sentiment in general is that things that people were optimistic about and saw as positives, when you get into a correction, they now see those as ominous or signs of worry. So take this year with earnings. We're having a banner year in terms of both top-line revenue and earnings, and yet you see everywhere people seeing ghosts about it and saying, were these earnings really real? Um, people who felt that the Trump tax cut was the thing that built all of this now say that's wearing off and it's all gone and it's done from here. Uh, and on and on and on, and, and a world that's been strong and continues to see growth into the future, people just now see as ominous. So I think that there's going to be continued corporate revenue growth as well as earnings. Uh, leading economic indexes in the, really the big parts of the world continue to be positive and even rising. Um, you know, and you look at all sorts of other little things and, you know, things that people have been nitpicky about through this year, like, well, has it really been a good investment cycle for corporations and have all they done is things like share buybacks? And the truth is that R&D, CapEx, all those things are strong and they point to continued growth. It's reinvestment into the economy. Even things like Eurozone GDP, which admittedly has slowed down this year, still positive and, you know, um, gone under just about everyone's noses in the last week is that quantitative easing went away uh, in Europe. And, you know, we've always regarded that as a bullish thing. We never thought quantitative easing was a good thing. Um, and with it going away and it being sort of a non-event, you'll notice that the media almost didn't really report on it at all because what's there to report on? It didn't stoke any new volatility. And that's all very correction-like. 
I mean, I, I looked for that. I very intentionally looked at some U.S. headlines, some European headlines, and I was looking for something that said, you know, ECB quantitative easing ends and markets react negatively or markets do something based on this, but it just didn't show up at all anywhere. I want to go back to something that you mentioned, the leading economic indexes. You said those are still high and rising across most of the world. What are leading economic indexes and why are they useful tools in understanding the economy at large? Well, the LEIs are something that we highlight uh, quite frequently. And it's not because it's a panacea or that it's the one piece of data that's something of a holy grail and you should only pay attention to it, but it does have quite a bit of power and that um, the leading economic indexes is just a series of items that the conference board has put together over time that track the economy and is one of the best um, pieces of information we've ever seen that actually have some forward-looking ability to it. And so one of the things that we say so often to our clients is uh, most data is backwards-looking, most data is more noisy than anything else, and doesn't really tell you about what happens next. And the LEI is a good-faith effort and actually pretty good at saying, yeah, here's what probably comes next. And it has a variety of factors into it, all sorts of pieces of the economy, including the stock market, interest rates, uh, <clears throat> wage growth, and so forth. And when you put it all together, it's been a pretty reliable um, idea. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but when the LEIs are high and rising, it's just not something that I would easily or readily bet against. And in places like the U.S. and Europe especially, indeed, LEIs continue to be high and rising. So that's a useful tool for understanding what the economy is doing, but not necessarily stock markets, since the stock market is a component of the LEIs. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's an important distinction because the direction of the economy ultimately, of course, is going to be pretty correlated with the stock market, but that's not a one-for-one -one correlation, that those two things can zig and zag a little bit. And I think very importantly, it's not the magnitude of GDP growth that makes the bull market. The presence of GDP growth argues for a longer bull market and a continued bull market, but you don't necessarily have to have it be accelerating nor necessarily hit some threshold, some arbitrary threshold. Uh, growth is all you need. So, Mike, if I'm hearing you, basically what we're saying here is, look, when you look at the fundamentals, things are still very positive, or overall, these things are still pretty resilient. There's a lot of strength in the economy, but sentiment on all of, based on all these fears that are going on in the world has really been pushed down. People's expectations are overly dour relative to reality. And of course, one of the core tenets of our investment philosophy here at the firm is that stocks really move on the gap between expectations and reality. Right now, people's expectations are just overly dour relative to that reality. And our, our view is that eventually something is going to be the catalyst for investors to start reappreciating those fundamentals and stocks will move back up in tune, what's going to be the all-clear signal, or is there an all-clear signal when investors generally start moving back on the reality as opposed to these kind of false fears out there in the world? Um, it would be such an easy business if things announced themselves. And, you know, things that seem decisive in the short run often in the long run don't end up being as important as people think. And it's just like you said, you know, the job we try to do is um, find the highest probabilities, compare where people are thinking about the world versus the hard data and reality we can see, and, and allocate resources in that direction. And so um, the funny thing about volatility and corrections in general is that 
they certainly do announce themselves and they get people's attention and they certainly get people to start seeing ghosts. But the all clear signal is never so clear. And that, you know, in my experience, uh, yes, markets can rally quickly once a, once a correction is starting to end, but not with an all clear signal that um, there may be some daily news flow, who knows what it is that sparks a rally this day or that day or the other. But in most cases, once a correction is over, in my experience, you sort of look up from several weeks hence and you realize, oh, uh, things have come back. Um, I'm not worrying about things like China as much as I was two or three weeks ago, and there doesn't seem to be as many headlines about it that sort of the news cycle has turned itself over, and the world just kind of proceeds. And the next thing you know, uh, markets are, you know, retesting highs and so forth. I mean, uh, just this year actually gave us an example of that where the market spikes up 9-10%, comes back down, gets everybody's attention real quick. Um, people start to see ghosts in that correction period. But by the time we get to midsummer, things have sort of ground their way back up until we hit another correction again here. And like I say, that is so characteristic of what we've seen this cycle. It's been true for 2011 and 12, 2015 and 16. And now it appears this period as well. And I think that, you know, you ask the all clear signal. We ask a sort of different question, which is, what do people really find unfathomable? What can't they really contemplate that might be true about now? And what this correction uh, period points to for us is that this could be a profoundly longer cycle than most people envision. And I mean that both economically and on the market side, which is to say, we've had another refresh in sentiment. Uh, global markets, you know, including the economy, seem fairly resilient and in a pretty strong position. That all argues for another leg of this bull market before it's all over. When you say a refresh in sentiment, you mean really that investors may have been marching into optimism a little bit, you know, farther away from euphoria, but definitely in optimism. And with this recent bout of volatility, maybe more people have pushed, been pushed back into skepticism, worried about things, which, of course, gives this bull market some more room to run. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and if, if we're being totally honest here, um, you know, there's some contemplation about real euphoria coming into January. Um, that came off of 2017, which had no volatility and was just pretty much a straight line up. And then a January that was pretty much a straight line up. And you start saying to yourself, well, sentiment is starting to get high and it's, and it's in that territory. But as soon as we got there, it just got washed out all over again. And that's very bullish because a reset in sentiment effectively um, creates more buyers in the long run. That when everybody's optimistic and everyone's euphoric, it means they're all in the market. There's no more buyers, but there could be a marginal seller. And when you reset all that sentiment, it reverses it all and puts a ton of potential buyers back into the market when people start to realize that the world just isn't as bad as they may have thought it was. So at the end of the year upon us here, you've got many investors starting to look at their portfolios and wonder, well, what, what should I do here? What advice would you give people or listening to this podcast right now? Because everyone's natural bias is to act, right? You see something that you think is wrong in your portfolio or wrong in the world, then your bias is to take action to fix it. So what advice would you give to investors today? Uh, make sure you have someone to talk to. The best way to work through emotion is to verbalize something, get it out, speak it out with someone, and, and just get all the emotion out before you do anything at all. And, I, I, and, and that's one of the reasons why we've structured our business such as we have, where each of our clients has a dedicated investment counselor. They know who that person is so that you can call and just have that discussion. You, you know, insofar as I'm concerned, 
that saved our clients from thousands upon thousands of bad decisions that would otherwise change the trajectory of their long-term financial goals, just the notion of discussion. But I do think there's more to it than that. I mean, I'm someone who in the firm studies a lot of psychology, investor psychology, and there's a couple of things that I've really observed this year. One is the basic notion of prospect theory, which is that if you have a market that starts up, falls right back down, grinds back up, and then falls right back down again, even though the market's just down a little, at least as we speak today, feels a lot worse than that. And, that, and that's what prospect theory is, which is that people feel a loss about two and a half times more than they like a similar size gain. And so the irony is that you know, you're down a little, but people feel a lot worse than that. Second piece is that um, it's my view that people really experience kind of what you would call a time warp. Uh, in a period like this, because when times are good, time tends to fly. I mean, you sort of know that old saying, but when times are bad, time tends to grind. And what I'm willing to bet is that most folks listening to even this podcast at the moment have been recently checking their balances more often, kind of watching the news more often than they should, worrying about this, that, or the other thing, worrying about what the close was, what the high was. That's all very indicative of volatility, correction behavior. It forces people to pay attention, and it makes time sort of move more slowly in that sense. And it, and it causes fatigue. I mean, you know, I hate to use a, a war quote, but, you know, Patton said, um, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And, you know, I've always felt that's just such an apt quote for correction environments because what are people really fighting today? Um, you know, when we speak with a client, I think that most people can be reasonable and see that the world's pretty good. But when you just have all this volatility and the ups and downs, at some point, uh, fatigue can get to folks. And, and that's why I go back to the notion, find somebody you can speak with. Talk all this out. It'll help you a lot. Anything else you want to add, Mike? I think that um, the fundamentals are shaping up well for a positive 2019, but it's a question of when and how the gains come. Um, some of these correction narratives, I think, have a good chance of starting to dissipate as we get into January, but they might not. Maybe Brexit rolls on for another few months. Maybe China trade talk rolls on for another few months, et cetera. So it's a question, in, in, our, in my mind anyway, about I think there's good gains ahead, but we need to be very patient and to not necessarily expect all of a sudden a huge reversal just because the new calendar year ticks into 2019. Um, the first quarter could be turbulent. Maybe even the first half is. It's hard to say because, as we mentioned before, these first, um, the first couple grinding corrective periods of this cycle did go on a while. And so maybe that happens this year. But net-net, by the time you get 12 months forward from here, uh, the world should continue to be a better place than it was before and that ultimately stock prices ought to be higher. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And for all of you listening, thank you very much for tuning in. If you have feedback on today's podcast or ideas that you want to hear us talk about, please email us at marketinsights at fi.com. I also invite you to follow Ken Fisher on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Kenneth L. Fisher. For more, please visit marketminder.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made 
we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments 2018.